My mum is an entrepreneur and I had the great privilege of growing up being able to see her model that. There were things that I learned that I didn't want to do, like work 100 hours a week. I grew up in pubs and restaurants. We like would live in the room above them and she would run them into award-winning pubs. But I think what I learned from her, both through, you know, genetically and also from having the opportunity to learn from her is you figure it out. If something's not working, you figure it out. If someone doesn't turn up for their shift, you still got 300 roast dinners to make, so you figure it out. That's the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, is just embracing everything that goes spectacularly wrong or doesn't go the way you thought it was going to, and just treating it as information and being like, all right, that's what we got. What are we going to do about that? This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. In a nutshell, this is how I build a business. If I have an idea and something I want to pursue, I kind of put it on the shelf. I put it on the table in front of me. And I know that that idea is going to require an ecosystem and effort and potentially a team and things to make it real. But before I start to list those elements out, before I even contemplate whether or not this is something that I want to pursue, and we're past the due diligence phase here, we're past that, oh yeah, could this work? Could it not work? We're like, we're leaning into it. I stop and I have an entirely different conversation. And that separate different conversation is this, what needs to be true in my life in order for this entity, this thing to come to fruition? That might be, it needs to earn me X amount per year. It needs to not take more than this many hours of my time. It needs to leverage these components of the ecosystem and business that I've already created. I make this list fresh every time and I reverse engineer where I am going from there. I reverse engineer what I am building because I want to ensure that I remain in my version of entrepreneurship at any given moment, that I'm, I'm not compromising in how I want to live my life. And there might be a better way to do it. It's just that this is the only way that it's ever been done. And so when I turn to entrepreneurs and we talk about building out a business, I have that same conversation with them. What needs to be true in order for you to achieve X, Y, and Z? And what's fascinating to me and where I have struggled is that there have traditionally been two arenas where people say, well, these two things need to be true, Megan, if I'm going to pursue this entrepreneurial dream. And those two things are one they will say, I don't really want to, like, I'm not interested in slimy sales. I can't do sales. I don't feel good about sales. I don't want to sell. And I, I, would have, I would have a moment. It's hard to have a product and not sell, but I'd let it sit there. And they'd say to me, the second thing you need to have in place in order for me to build my dream business is I don't have any interest in being on or being a part of or engaging in or feeling compelled to react to social media. I have a hard time differentiating where we just need to be outside our comfort zone and where we need to truly bring some of these pieces to the table. Now, I will acknowledge it is very difficult to have a product or have a business where the owner is sufficiently unprepared to sell their own product. But I am open to the possibility that there's more than one way to sell, that there is an art to having conversations that don't leave customers feeling pressured, or feeling like there was an abuse of the relationship. And I struggle with the second. How do we have a brand and a presence and an influence in the world in the complete absence of social media? And so in the vein of our previous few episodes, this notion of thinking outside the box, I wanted to have a conversation with an entrepreneur who was having her cake and eating it too, who was limiting or moving away from or no longer using social media and someone who had a process and system around sales that didn't leave us feeling squirmy. And so in declaring that this was the type of conversation that I wanted to have, there was really no one in the world I could think of other than Katie Prince. Katie Prince is the founder of the Squirm Free Business School. She's had the opportunity to speak on our stage at Impact Lives. She is adored 
by my audience. And she is truly an outside the box thinker. And so in this episode, we talk about these pieces. We talk about how do you deliver squirm-free sales? How do you hold compassionate boundaries and facilitate an opportunity for someone to lean into your products while never feeling pressured? And most interestingly, we talked about Katie's complete personal extrication from social media and how she's been able to continue to build a value-based growing company without leveraging that entire channel of traffic. She is compelling, compassionate, and forward-thinking. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Katie Prince. Katie Prince, welcome to Impact. Megan, it is an honor and a privilege to be joining you. I am so excited for our conversation today. Well, I've been excited. I've been excited about this for a, a period of time now. And I'm also just going to share with our listeners, we've had a series like the, the universe is, is attempting to participate in our interview alongside of us. So despite us both having incredible internet speed, it just continues to stop. And so it's okay. We're going we're gonna to create an incredible user experience. We're going to throw on some fun sound effects. And with any luck, you'll get a series of tremendous bloopers coming out of our incredibly serious conversation today. So Katie, before we, before we invite Mercury Retrograde into our interview, can you just, can you share with my listeners a little bit about who you are and how you leave impact in the world? Sure thing. So my name is Katie Prince. My pronouns are she and her. And about five years ago, I started dabbling in the world of freelance copywriting. I was doing it off the side of my main gig, which was a sales training, in-house sales training role for a group of cafes in the southwest of the UK, of all things, telling people to add bacon to their burgers and slices of grilled halloumi to their breakfasts. And I started out as a freelance copywriter when my husband and I moved to Toronto. Quite surprisingly, quite abruptly, he had a role at U of T that was just too good an opportunity to turn down. And so off we went. And I decided that I would figure out this whole freelance thing. It would be a great opportunity to, you know, work on my skills and just feel into a new season of my career. And what happened was as I started connecting with the startup culture in Toronto, which is so thriving and buzzing and lively and incredible, I kind of noticed that it seemed like there were two options on the table. You could either be a very kind of hustly bro in Patagonia Gilet, or you could be... I'm trying not to laugh. It's funny because it's true. I'm interrupting you already. Okay, carry on. But yes. Or you could be like a hyper, you know, or you were offered like the hyper feminine, like boss babe, CEO, all pink everything, millennial pink mugs uh, with I'm a femtrepreneur written on the side. And neither of those really appealed to me. Neither of these really felt like me. And I didn't really feel like I fit in. And the whole thing kind of made me squirm, Megan. And so I decided to just throw all the silly labels in the bin and very organically started to grow a bit of a community myself. And it started out as hosting events around the city. It then kind of grew into uh, doing like a regular meetup circle with other women and non-binary business owners who, you know, were also sort of seeking something else, but not quite sure what. And kind of alongside this period of trying to find the people who got it, I was also growing my copywriting practice and was starting to get tapped up for things like sales training and bespoke copywriting workshops and doing a bit of strategy. And that's how the Squirm Free School of Business, as it is now, which is my sales training company, came to life. I couldn't stop laughing as you were sharing that. As someone who is engaged in the Toronto entrepreneurial community, I was like, yeah, there's a, there are a series of, of very distinct avatars. And so as you describe that, 
you know, part of it was sort of my question is, how did we come to a place where we actually even needed a third category, which is basically come as you are entrepreneurs? In your experience and in watching in watching copy and in the evolution of social media and entrepreneurship, how, how did we get there that you are either riding a unicorn down to your office in the morning or you are, you know, hopping in your in your Ferrari and you're like sharing the whole story on on social? Like how how is it that we are so polarized in our entrepreneurial identities? Oh my gosh, that's a that's a very big question to to kick off this discussion, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, one of the things that I've always found fascinating about copy and language, and I suppose as I'm reflecting on it now, is part of the reason why I really got drawn into copywriting is the power of language. Language is so freaking powerful. Language has the ability to shape the way we think. We need words to be able to describe concepts. And, you know, we've been kind of coming up through a big unlearning over the past hundred years or so, or even more recent than that, um, and dismantling what gender norms look like and what gender roles are. And as the world of entrepreneurship has been, I was going to say, become more open to women and non-binary folks and trans folks, but I don't know if it's more open. It's more that we're kind of elbowing our way in uh, and bashing the door down. And a need has developed for language that describes what is neither hyper-masculine, quote-unquote, and hyper-feminine, quote-unquote. There's a lot more gray area in between. And I think that gray area is a huge growth area at the moment. And actually looking around at businesses that are willing to have conversations where people can disagree but still share a space and learn from each other is a really cool area of growth, I think, and one that I'm very excited to participate in. Yeah, I love that you just created space for all of those identities to just fall into the fall into the room, as it were. I had I have this ongoing disdain is maybe too too strong a word to describe my relationship with the hashtag mompreneur. I've spoken about this a little before because I know people are really attached to that. I've got three kids. I, I understand the balance. I have no interest in in carrying around that hashtag. I have different identities and, and different areas uh, of focus in my life. And I, I really value that you've drawn attention to that. Um, because to me, entrepreneurship is an opportunity to have my cake and eat it too. And anytime I build a business, it starts with what do I want to have be true in my life and in my world and in my value system. And now how do I build something that is congruent with those? I reverse engineer it. I thought that was n- normal, but I don't think that's how all businesses are crafted or created. Oh, yeah. And that question of what do I actually want is something that is only been a question that people who aren't cisgender men have actually been allowed or encouraged to ask themselves up until quite recently. And yeah, rather than approaching like, oh, what are the options for me? Or I can either get a nine to five, or I can be a stay at home parent, or I can work part time and cover my childcare costs the rest of the time and break even. But what if, you know, what if instead of going, what are the options that are available? Instead, we just went, well, actually, what what do I want? How many hours do I want to work? How do I want to be perceived? What do I want to spend my free time doing? What kind of income do I need to be able to fund those activities that really light me up? What kind of impact do I want to leave in the world? Where do I want to contribute? Where do I want to participate? And actually starting with that, you use the phrase reverse engineering. And I love that phrase. It's where all the magic happens, right? I'm like, frothing with excitement right now. <laughs> Amazing. I thought you were going to say I'm frozen again. And I was like, no. Okay. So here's my question. You've built an ecosystem where you deliver a, a squirm free business experience and a level of awareness for entrepreneurs. And before we jump into what that is, one question I want to understand a little bit more of is how do you manage for people the fine line between I want to be squirm free in my business versus I'm avoiding stepping outside my comfort zone. And is squirm free living within your comfort zone, but also having your business? Like what is the relationship between growth and being outside your comfort zone and existing in a squirm free state? 
Oh, I love this question. I love this question because, yeah, there is a big difference between being afraid to try something new and something feeling inherently off or intuitively wrong about the way that you're being told you have to go about something. So when I talk about squirm-free selling and what squirm-free means in the context of sales, I'm always talking about the sort of squirm-free means that it's free from expectation. It's free from shame-driven selling. Um, So trying to bully or shame someone into a sale. It's free from having to pretend to be someone you're not to in order to get a result. It's free from false urgency and false scarcity. So artificially engineered urgency and scarcity. And at its core, it's accessible. It is consent led. And it's for real people who have real limitations and real lives and real commitments and real feelings. That's what Squirm Free is about. And what you're talking about (laughs) when it comes to feeling a little bit yeah, like you need to stretch outside of your comfort zone. That's knowing that you want to do the thing, that you're capable to do the thing, but you just haven't done it yet. I have one more question on this before we jump into like the mechanics. Cause I feel like at any given moment in someone's business, when they're like, I'm stuck, I, I ask them, is it mechanics or is it mindset? And so I just, I want to hit the mindset pieces before we get into some of the mechanics. And the mindset piece is you mentioned part of Squirm Free is not having to pretend to be something you are not. How do we reconcile that emotion with the pervasive sentiment and existence of imposter syndrome in the entrepreneurial community? I'm going to maybe say in the entrepreneurial, you know, the non-cisgender male entrepreneurial community, but like this is something I encounter having conversations with women an awful lot. I think there's a huge amount of power and strength and credibility in saying, I don't know, or I don't know yet. Having worked very closely with hundreds and sort of in a wider capacity with thousands of business owners over the past couple of years, one of the things that people fear more than anything else in the sales process is getting a no or hearing either the phrase, I can't afford it, or now's not the right time, can we circle back later, right? Getting one of those top two objections, either the time or the money. And, you know, there, there's so much pressure that, that we can put on ourselves as entrepreneurs to, to kid ourselves like, oh, in order to be credible, in order for me to close sales, I need to have all the answers before I have the conversation. And it don't work like that. Okay, let's say next time you're going into a sales conversation and maybe the person who has booked that sales conversation with you is someone who you really admire and you're like, my gosh, what could they possibly want from me? I admire them in so many ways. They've achieved this. They have this logo. They have this many followers. They have this amazing podcast that has had hundreds of thousands of downloads. (gasps) Oh my goodness, what could I possibly offer them? What if instead you went in with a curious mind and just went in open to finding out why and were open to asking questions. So instead of, you know, instead of let's say they tell you, oh, this is a little bit more than I was planning to spend, instead of going, oh gosh, well, you know, um, uh, and fumbling around trying to figure out an answer for them, instead you ask, oh, okay, thank you so much for sharing that. Can you share with me a little bit about what kind of investment you are looking to make in this kind of product or service or offer or whatever it is? And then listening curiously, huh, there's obviously a mismatch in our expectations somewhere. Let me see if I can find out where the missing link is. Let me listen really carefully. All we have to do as salespeople and as business owners is join the dots between what people think they want and think they need in order to solve their problem and then help them join the dots between what they actually want and actually need and what's actually going to solve the problem. And sometimes it's delicate and it requires that we put that sense of I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that. We put ourselves to the side and actually we just get into service mode. Yeah. What do you need? What do you need in order to feel safe making this decision? What else do you need to know before this feels amazing for you to say yes to? How would you describe your relationship to sales? Not squirmy. (laughs) Um, Well, good. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) How would I describe my relationship to selling? That's a really interesting question. As I'm reflecting on this, I'm feeling flutters of excitement just underneath my collarbones. I feel like physically excited about selling. I find it so exciting to have the opportunity to listen to what people are struggling with, listen to what people's goals are, listen to what people, what's on people's minds, what's their main concern, what's getting in the way for them, and then take all of that information in, process it. You can take a bit of time to process it. It doesn't have to be all on the spot. And then say, oh, have you thought about this? What if we did that? What if we were to start on this in the next two weeks? Would that help? And go from there. I find it so exciting. So exciting. It's so interesting. Every interaction is different. I'm just like, oh. I appreciate that excitement too. And I think when I turned and realized that huge numbers of, of my colleagues loathed the notion of selling, I was so surprised because my colleagues are practitioners. My colleagues have strategy within them that literally changes the trajectory of someone's life and sometimes like multiple generations of people's lives. Like they get to package things that are of such tremendous value that I can't imagine anything, one, easier to sell, but two, more exciting to have the opportunity to provide for people to buy. Like I also enjoy purchasing things I really want and the chance to create something that is of such high value. I'm like, holy smokes, it's the best thing ever. And then I looked around and everyone's like, you are a bananas walker. Like, what are you talking about? And so I want to, for a quick second, I want to, I want to talk to them and you, and you know, you know, you know, my people, you've had an opportunity to get to know them. What do you want to say to that cohort of entrepreneurs who have this privilege of creating things of tremendous impact and value in this world who are just, they can't step into their confidence in that, in that sales piece. I would just love for you to hold their hand for a hot second. First of all, it's not about you. It's about these people who you are serving. And the reason you're even contemplating putting yourself into a sales conversation or a situation where you may be connecting someone who needs help with something that's going to help them, it's because you have something different. You have created something that has the power to change someone's life. You are quite rare. Not everyone can change people's lives like that. Not everyone has the tools, the skill set, the impetus to go out and create an offer that improves the well-being of fellow citizens of planet Earth. And it's pretty brilliant. It's a pretty brilliant thing to be able to do. And even if you feel like you don't fit neatly inside whatever expectation the service provider should or is supposed to look like, I promise you that person has been drawn to you because they see a little piece of themselves in the way that you market yourself, in the way that you make yourself visible in the world. You owe it to them to at least give them the opportunity to decide for themselves. And there's an art to being able to provide people with that option and that opportunity without making them feel like their back is against the wall or they have no out or that it is confrontational. Can you take us through and provide a little bit of insight as to that art? What are some of the key tenets that you bring to a sales experience that make it different than what so many other entrepreneurs do? First of all, number one, we always want to start with questions. Let's say, okay, we'll take two threads as we're talking through this. So let's say that you have, you enroll clients by having one-to-one sales conversations with them, either at a consult or a free session or a discovery call, whatever you want to call it. You can either have a one-on-one conversation or you can have some kind of one-to-many conversation. So this might take the form of a written long-form sales page. So you write it once, there's one of you writing and many people can read it at once. Or it might take the form of something like a webinar or a workshop or a live event, right? Where you share an offer to a group of people. There's one of you and many of them. And whether it's a one-to-one conversation or a one-to-many conversation, we still want to start with questions. Now, if you are having a one-on-one conversation, you're going to ask those questions. You're going to ask what and how questions to get to 
the bottom of what's not working, what's in the way, and how this is affecting them in your area of expertise and how that is overspilling into other areas of their life. We must we must understand what's wrong and how it's affecting them. If you are having a one-to-many conversation, so you know, you're either presenting or you're writing a sales page, you're gonna have to do a little bit of research. It's why it's a good idea to have sales conversations before you transition to one-to-many selling, because then you'll know these answers already and you can work them into your copy or you can work them into your presentation. So what you're doing here is you are getting your prospect problem aware. That's why a lot of people call them clarity calls because they're like, ah, I finally get it. I know what's wrong. (laughs) So that's the first part. The bridge that's going to provide the connection between being problem aware and then starting to become solution aware and deciding to make the decision to work with you is it's going to involve a couple of things. But if I were to sum it up, concisely, it would be uncovering motivation and activating internal urgency. Yeah, uncovering motivation. We need to find out what, like, what's important to your prospect about doing this. Like, why are they even bothering? <laughs> what's important? What's in it for them? Now, if we're having a one-on-one conversation, we might ask something like, and where would you like to be three months? six months, 12 months from now, yeah? And what will that do for you, right? You're going to ask questions that really help them paint a vivid picture. And that creates that internal pull, that motivation of, oh, yeah, I want that. If we're in that one-to-many, again, if you're writing your copy, then you can paint that picture for people with your words because you've done all this wonderful market research. Take 10 minutes and be like, okay, everyone, we're going to take two minutes now. I want you to write down your boldest, most unapologetic vision for whatever the heck you want. Get it down on paper right now. Everything that comes down, nothing is too much to imagine for yourself. So motivation and then activating internal urgency. One of the reasons that people sometimes feel squirmy about selling is because they think that they have to be pushy. They think that they have to nudge someone or pressure someone to make a decision based on their own timelines as a salesperson. You ain't got to do that. (laughs) What you have to do is instead uncover and activate the urgency that already exists within the buyer. They're going to have their own reasons for needing to do this now, not putting it off until later. And so helping them arrive at the question, why now? Why is now the time to get started with this? If you're on a sales conversation, you could ask quite, you could actually just ask that as a question. And why now? Why did you decide to book this sales consult with me today and not put it off for another three months. Can you tell me a bit about that? Ooh, the wheels start turning. That internal urgency is getting activated right before your eyes. If you're in that workshop environment, then you could ask people a question like, you could ask the room, this would be really powerful actually, you could ask the room, Let's draw a line down the center of our page right now. And on one side, I want you to write down what will happen three days from now if you choose to start this journey. And what will happen three days from now if you choose not to start this journey or you choose not to implement and help people see that contrast so that they connect with that internal like, all right, let's get going. I'm listening to this. I'm like, oh, we're going to do this exercise at our next live event. And we're going to do this exercise at our next live event. I, I love this. How do you handle the objection? Let me just talk to my partner about it. No, 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 no. First thing, if it's let me talk to my partner, I'll say, oh, that's so exciting. I didn't realize that your partner was involved in the business because I sell B2B. That's the first question out of my mouth. Yeah, like if it was for... Like if you're an ND, for example, I say, oh, okay, I thank you so much for sharing that with me. Can you describe to me how specifically is your partner involved in your decision to seek healthcare? And go like, not with any preconceptions, go in genuine because you might find something out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just wouldn't have known before. Maybe they're planning to pay for it. Maybe there's, I don't know, there are all kinds of reasons why a partner may or may not be involved, but this is going to help you understand, is the partner genuinely involved or is this actually a mask for a stool? So I need to think about it is the real question. If you arrive there, then the next question you ask is, 
okay, fantastic. I completely respect that you are taking some time to think this over. I can tell that it's an important decision to you. Before you go, though, what is it specifically that you'd like to think about? I want to make sure I've equipped you with everything you need in order to come to your decision. I really appreciate that approach. I ask people this question indirectly all the time because I'm obsessed and my listeners know I'm a bit obsessed with this concept of self-actualization. And to me, self-actualization is a developmental milestone for entrepreneurs where they are willing and able, and, and honestly for any individual, but I see it in entrepreneurs, willing and able to make autonomous big decisions on behalf of their business. And I had this really amazing psychotherapist on my show. And, and she, she very much felt that, you know, part of that self-actualization is also acknowledging the onus of responsibility that we are taking as we move forward in those big decisions and normalizing that. That is part of your growth as an entrepreneur, that you're going to be taking on bigger and bigger chunks of responsibility in your life. But I love your approach with it because it is, uh, it's gentle and not confrontational. And it, give, it gives people an out. I love giving people an out in a sales conversation so they can remain in integrity or they can, they cannot feel, they cannot feel confronted. Yeah, 100%. But, but you're still arriving there, right, of putting them at cause for making the decision on their own. Because it's, like you say, it's empowering to come to a decision either way. Even if the decision is a no, a no can feel just as empowering as a yes. And actually, there are some no's that go on to become yeses later. And there are some no's that go on to become amazing referral sources because even though they decided that now was not the right time, they had such a great experience with you because you didn't push them, you didn't pressure them, you listened, you served them with all of the information they needed that, yeah, a no now, it very often leads to a yes or multiple yeses down the line. Right. And you get to, you just get to maintain and preserve your integrity in that, in that experience. So if I were to speak to my audience and say, what are the two biggest pain points for you? The things you have to do in your business, notwithstanding bookkeeping. And no one likes that, but like the two big emotional, just, just outsource that. <laughs> Let's just throw that down. Um, two biggest emotional pain points for them and their business. It is selling and it is social media. And you have made a bold decision to extricate yourself from social media. And as I was reading through this on your website, I'm not going to lie. I was triggered by that in that I was like, could I extricate myself from social media? Like, could I just, could I turn it off or could I just delete it? Could, like, what would have to be true? What would I have to confront? What would I have to? And the the triggering, I'm not, I'm not directing that at you. It was like a good trigger. It was a it was like a fantastic icebreaker question where I was like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> what what compelled you to to like turn off? Like legit, you're not on like you didn't delete your stuff, but you're like, sayonara, I'm in other places. How did you come to do that? And then we're going to talk about how you market your business without social media. Oh my goodness. I mean, to be fair, I still feel a little bit triggered by the whole conversation. So I totally hear what you're saying. <laughs> there is this, um, I don't know, there's maybe this is just my personality and the way I am as a person, but I'm kind of a all in or not at all type person. Where I really struggle is when I feel under a sense of obligation and start to feel into that have to. And if we rewind like three years ago, I was obsessed with showing up on Instagram. I don't mean obsessed in a negative way. I mean like energetically, like, ah, oh, I'm obsessed. And that was reflected in my results over there. But maybe it's being in and out of lockdowns and isolation and having real life touch points taken away. Maybe it's the fact that social media has just changed so rapidly over the past couple of years. And I kind of feel like you as a business owner, you have to be a very obedient little performing monkey who is willing to do the reels and do all the things that you need to do in order to actually show up and create the kind of content that these platforms want you to create. And I just had enough. 
I, I can't explain it any other way. The energy was just gone. Was becoming a source of anxiety. It was ter- it was always on the oh gosh, I haven't done X yet list. It was on the should list constantly. It's a bit chicken and egg. At the same time, the results that we were getting on social media just weren't there anymore. It wasn't translating to sales, to cash in the bank, the same way as it used to. I hosted a live event launch earlier this year and the number of sign-up, I can't remember the exact details off the top of my head, but it was something like 16% of sign-ups came through social media. Everything else was through referrals and email list. And yet the social media portion of promoting that live event was like 80% of the work. And I was like, this isn't working. I wonder what would happen if I just didn't do it at all. And as soon as that thought entered my head, I just felt like physically relieved. I felt excited. I felt light. I thought, oh my gosh, yes, that's so it. The exhaustion, there is also the the risk factor. Um, I've had friends who have had their entire accounts restricted or compromised and they've had very large followings that they can't contact anymore. There is also this kind of moral feeling of like push-pull, like, do I really want to send any more money to Mark Zuckerberg and friends? Is that something that I want to fund? Mm, Probs not. (laughs) It was just taking up way too much space in Mm -hmm. my head. And without the return, just an app. Yeah, without the return. And at the end of the day, they're just a bunch of apps. They've only been around for like 10 years or so. People have been running businesses for thousands of years. It's non-essential. Traffic is one of the biggest challenges for my community of entrepreneurs. And I talk about this concept of a traffic trifecta. We talk about paid traffic. We talk about social traffic. And we talk about relationship traffic. Paid traffic in the health and wellness space. And I know my audience is not just health and wellness. You cannot pay for traffic in health and wellness because they are frightened you might say something healthy. And so that isn't a reliable avenue. (laughs) The algorithms on social platforms are also disincentivizing health and wellness practitioners. They're not interested in promoting their message. It leaves us with, in my trifecta, although I'm open to turning this into a square, relationships. But as someone who who runs a business school, someone who has said, I am stepping away from social media, so isn't even seeing trickling benefits from that at this point, what would you advise and where would you be leaning into for those individuals who still need consistent traffic to their businesses? Where are you advising them to go? Oh my gosh, there are so many places. I'm delighted that you've asked me this. I wish everyone could see your excitement right now because for anyone who's like, I don't know how to get people through the door because my ads aren't working and the algorithms put me in the bottom of the shoebox, like Katie Prince has got your answer here. Okay, the floor is yours. I'm just like grinning, grinning. I know you are, it's amazing. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the way that we approach lead generation and you you can call it lead generation, you can call it traffic driving, but for the purpose of this, same thing. The way that I approach it with my clients is with the IOLS strategy. So IO stands for inbound, outbound, and LS stands for long-term, short-term. Now, if you imagine these are two axes that are crossed like an X and Y axis, you're going to have four quadrants. And so long as you've got something going on in each of those quadrants, you are going to have a well-fleshed out lead generation or traffic strategy. So in terms of short-term, you want your short-term inbound, so short-term attraction marketing. So things like posting on social media very often. You want your short-term outbound marketing. So that might be, yeah, that that might be your ads if you're doing like little bursts of ad campaigns. But then you also want your long-term stuff. And this is very often the stuff that people overlook, especially if they're in the first couple of years of their business, because they're more focused on immediate return. And so it can be, it can feel a little bit more difficult to balance that with more like long-term traffic drivers. So we want the long-term inbound, how we're going to attract people with a piece of content that has longevity, that's going to continue to attract people for a long time. And then long-term outbound. And this might be things like 
going on podcasts, right? <laughs> or, you know, being featured in PR. So that's kind of the, the four quadrants that I want people to think about. And actually, that's a great exercise that you can do is draw those and ask yourself, do I actually have some stuff going on in each of these? Or am I just fully relying on short term attraction marketing, which if you're stressed out with lead generation, or you find it tiring, that's probably what's going on. But to answer your question, so many things you can do. So email list, numero uno, email list. Can you say that one more time? Just say it one more time. (laughs) It's the only thing you own. (laughs) (laughs) Email marketing is the only thing you own. And if you haven't already started a newsletter, then stop this podcast right now stop listening to things and wasting time go over to something free set up an email newsletter and a landing page there uh mailer light is free to get started on i think there are loads of other free ones um that you can sign up to but yeah optimize your email opt-in page you don't need to have a sexy little pdf that people download you don't need to have a webinar funnel set up all you need is a promise for a newsletter that you can send on a regular basis or semi-regular basis. So if you want an example of one that is converting really, really well, go to katieprince.com forward slash newsletter and you will see what I'm talking about. And hey, maybe you'll even feel inspired to opt in because it's so tantalizing and alluring. Um, But yeah, email marketing is absolutely huge. Media, PR, pitching yourself to to like help a reporter out or for local radio, television, buy a bunch of magazines that your ideal client reads and flick through and look for journalist names, go and follow them on Twitter, DM them, ask if they're looking for stories. Like we've got to get creative a little bit. Get out into your local community. And especially if you're a practitioner, right? A lot of your business is going to be local or it's going to be regional for sure. If you don't have a Google My Business profile, um, that is like free Google juice. It'll take, it's free to set up. (laughs) Google My Business, you need to set it up. It is completely free. It will, yeah, dramatically improve your SEO so that people can find you. You can go around local cafes or local businesses or local shops in your immediate area or in cities where you would like to be found. And you can drop off really gorgeous flyers or postcards or 10% off coupons or refer a friend little tear off the bottom things. What do you call those? (laughs) Tear off the bottom things. Tear off the bottom things. We all know what I'm talking about. Uh, Long-term content marketing. So writing things like blogs that are optimized for SEO. And if you're not sure how to optimize a blog for SEO, I highly recommend checking out that SEO girl. Her name is Asha. She's on Instagram, but also you can just Google that SEO girl and she'll come up because her SEO is her SEO is magical. Yep. (laughs) Um, So go and look her up. She's got loads of tips. But also what you can do is you can use the Google keyword tool, which is completely free. And if you're thinking of writing a blog or recording a podcast episode or doing a YouTube video and you want to make sure it's optimized for search, you can type in your topic. So let's say it was sales tips for naturopaths and you would type it in and then you would see, you would search that in the Google see in the Google search tools. Sorry, I'm getting like overexcited and tripping over my words, aren't I? And it will show you what are the actual things that people are searching for related to that term. So it might be that it's that you decide to phrase your blog title slightly differently based on what you uncover by looking at the Google keyword tool. So that's a fun little tip. You can use Pinterest. Pinterest is an amazing source of traffic, an amazing source of traffic. Pinterest is not a social media platform. It is a search engine. People on Pinterest are looking for stuff. They are Mm -hmm. trying to find you. Mm -hmm. My new backyard. Yeah. If you haven't got started with Pinterest before, Megan Williamson is the person you need to check out. She's actually Ontario based as well, but she is just like the master of all things Pinterest. Look her up. 
You can also leverage something that's like really easy to leverage to drive traffic. It's so underutilized and so underestimated. Email signatures. Mm. Optimize your email signature. If you do nothing else, like how many people do you email every single day? Direct them off to something. Hey, I'm now booking. Now booking. Link to thing you're now booking. Update it every couple of weeks. Brilliant. You can start a podcast or guest on other people's podcasts. You can fully stock your reviews and testimonials. So, you know, you can either record video testimonials or audio testimonials if that's something that's suitable for the kind of business that you have. And then you can publish them on YouTube, on a podcast or private podcast feed. You can request, uh, if you have set up the Google My Business uh, profile, then you can request Google reviews, which again, does wonders for your SEO. I'm just like rattling them off here, Megan. Should I keep going? We could, or? Like, we, I'm sitting here, I'm like, huh. probably people are like, I don't know how to market myself. Um, you're going to listen to episode 266 of the Impact Podcast. Katie, I think this is... I think this is amazing. And and what it has done for people is it has removed the capacity to say there isn't there isn't an option for me. We have given a plethora of alternatives to the social media piece. It it actually just requires that we take we take action. That we move from talking about it to doing it. Yes. And this is before I've even talked about things like networking, going to events, hosting a meetup circle putting together a little, you know, online workshop and listing it on Eventbrite. If you list it in multiple cities on Eventbrite, it'll make it more visible. There are just so many ways that you can connect with people. Katie, when I look at impactful individuals and impactful entrepreneurs, I realize that there are, there's almost like secret ingredients that go into enabling them to be successful. And I'm always curious about uh, what I call impact ingredients, the things that enable successful entrepreneurs and impactful people to to tick and take the action that they do. So I've got a series of questions for you in this arena. And they're, they're quick. You don't you I, I say that they're quick. And then the last time I asked someone these questions, they're like, this is a podcast in and of itself. So I want you to know the lens through which is like is quick despite the fact you could be tempted to not be not be fast. And the first one is <laughs> now that I've told you exactly how long to speak, how do you cultivate courage? Where does that come from? When you need courage at a moment's notice, where do you go to get it? I play the song Just Got Paid by Sagala very loud into my noise cancelling headphones. And I do this. I'm pumping my arms up and down for anyone who can't see. Yeah, I physically have I have an anchor for that song, a a courage, confidence, and excitement anchor. And you can create one yourself. It's like a Pavlovian response, right? You know, he rang the bell, showed them the meat paste, and they started salivating, right? And you can train yourself to have your own anchor. And it's such a valuable resource. So if there's a song you love, maybe it's the smell of an essential oil that you love. That's quite an unusual smell that you wouldn't like smell by accident. Or maybe it's even like, a like a pressure point that you press on your body like a button uh, and you associate that with good feelings yeah that's a resource that I go back to again and again what's a non-negotiable for you getting lots of sleep brilliant because I was going to ask you about your favorite health hack but honestly it's probably one and of the same yeah sleep is everything sleep is everything I had a really uh, like life-changing operation last summer. And I lost loads of blood and was really ill afterwards. And like my iron levels are still like recovering from that. And if you feel tired, you have to rest. There's, there's no way around it. There's the only no way, way around it. It's true rest. It's like email marketing. It. There's no way around it. You Like you, yes. Even as a naturopathic doctor, I am surprised at how incredible I feel every time I actually fully enable myself to restore and recover and rest. It is a universal truth. And write emails. And write emails about it. (laughs) Last question for you, Katie. As an entrepreneur, were you born with it or did you learn to acquire these skills? Ooh, interesting. 
I think I was born with it. My mum is an entrepreneur and I had the great privilege of growing up being able to see her model that for me. There were things that I learned that I didn't want to do, like work 100 hours a week. Uh, I grew up in pubs and restaurants. We like would live in the room above them and she would run them into award-winning pubs. But I think what I learned from her, both through, you know, genetically and also from having the opportunity to learn from her is you figure it out. If something's not working, you figure it out. If someone doesn't turn up for their shift, you still got 300 roast dinners to make, so you figure it out. That's the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, is just embracing everything that goes spectacularly wrong or doesn't go the way you thought it was going to and just treating it as information and being like, all right, that's what we got. What are we going to do about that? I have a bonus question because I'm kind of curious. You're like, I thought I was done. What do you want your legacy of impact to be? Honestly, I don't have a big ambition to have my name world renowned or anything like that. I want to enjoy my life. I want to have lots of fun memories with my family. I want to go camping lots. I want to have lots of nice photos of me outdoors in lots of nice places. And I want to have the longest running roast dinner club for my friends. Yeah, it's not related to the business, to be honest. It's for me in my real life. Amazing. Katie Prince, you are such an inspiration. You think outside the box. You are leaving this incredible legacy of permission for other entrepreneurs to do the same. Where can we direct people to, I know it's going to be your email. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's been an absolute riot. If folks want to look at things like uh, my courses and events that we've got coming up, they should go over to squirmfreeschoolofbusiness.com and yeah, have a good old explore, have a nice poke around, see what you like the look of. If you want to connect with me personally, as we've talked about, I am not on social media, so you cannot DM me. But what you can do is you can pop over to my personal website, which is katieprince.com. Over there, you can sign up for my personal close friends newsletter. And there's something very cool about my close friends newsletter. It's called the Sunday Slice. And every Sunday, I share I share a generous helping of small business secret sauce topped with lots of little tips as well as personal stories and when you sign up for the newsletter, you also get access to my secret podcast, which will only show up in your podcast app when you subscribe for the newsletter. So even if you're just a little bit curious about what on the earth is on Katie's secret podcast, then I suggest you head over to katieprince.com forward slash newsletter and check it out. You are so smart and so cool and so amazing. Katie, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Megan. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in, or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel, and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact. Impact.